Hello and welcome to another episode of the S Una Final podcast. We are here. We are back to do a review and preview episode. I think that is that is the first time we're doing this on the S Una mm-hmm. Final podcast, and that is because uh, the schedule of La Liga and European football is so hectic that uh, there is a game every three days. Obviously, as Real Madrid fans, we love it. We we never say no to that a games every three days. But yeah. We'll, we'll take on the challenge. We'll provide you coverage on the S Una Final podcast. And as always, I have Charlie with me. Charlie, how are you doing? I am fantastic. I, as much as I feel bad for the players for having to go through game after game after game, mm-hmm. especially for the guys in the Champions League, I love mm-hmm. having just constant football every day. I mean, it's fantastic. I will never complain about that. So I'm doing very, very well. <laughs> yes. And of course, like uh, after the Euros, there was a bit of a gap and well, obviously, during the Euros, we didn't have any club football. And then there are two back-to-back international breaks in September and October. Uh, that kind of takes a lot of, like, sucks the energy out of club football in, in terms of, like, the regularity. And at the end, what happens is the schedule gets congested like this. But anyways, we love it as fans. Yes, now, we do. <laughs> uh, so how we're going to do this, we'll, we'll definitely uh, review some of the big games, some of the fun games that happened uh, over match day five in La Liga. And then we're going to preview the Real Madrid-Mallorca game that is going to happen at the Santiago Bernabeu. Real Madrid have a stretch of three home games uh, back-to-back. Uh, that is that is something to look forward to, definitely. And starting that is starting with the Mallorca game. But we'll talk about that later on the podcast. I'll, I'll start with some Match day five uh, review, Charlie. And uh, first off, Cadiz is is doing well. They just defeated Celta Vigo away from home. Uh, I will just straight dive into your thoughts on that game. It, it was a good game. This is a team that refuses to give up uh, oftentimes. And that is exactly what happened at Celta as well. So w- your thoughts on that? Well, um, as Michael and I talked about in our last review, um, Cadiz is really getting into, they're really going with the game plan here. I mean, they're key, mm-hmm. I think they had 22% possession in this game, which they just love to sit in and absorb the pressure. But Celta Vigo just looks so off at the start of the season. I mean, they're creating a great number of chances in their matches. Mm-hmm. They're doing well. They're playing this pretty much the same offensive brand of football that Eduardo Cudé has uh, employed there for the past season, but their finishing is just not there. I mean, Iago Aspas is pretty much off. I mean, the best finishing stint we've seen from uh, Vigo this season has been against Real Madrid, and mm-hmm. when they scored two goals against them in their uh, mm-hmm. return to the Bernabeu. I mean, mm-hmm. they just... Uh, they could really benefit. I don't know if Iago Aspas is just in a dry spell at the moment, or if he needs some competition, but if he doesn't... Uh, start finding his uh, form here like he always tends to do. I mean, mm-hmm. to be fair, Celta Vigo do usually start the seasons quite poorly. So mm-hmm. I'm not worried about them at the moment. But if they don't start to pick up some points uh, quickly, we mm-hmm. will have something to worry about. On one quick note, Victor Chust, Real Madrid uh, yeah. Loney, played quite well for uh, Cadiz and just yeah. kind of their park-the-bus system. I believe he had... Um, 12 uh, clearances, one or so interception, and had mm. he was dominant out of the air because uh, Santa Vigo was trying quite a bit of crosses. I think he had a above an 80% aerial do win rate. So, I mean, very mm. good to see him, one, playing, and two, doing quite well because Cadiz, one, is a very tough system to play if you're not suited for that sort of uh, style of football. And the fact that he's picking it up quickly uh, after just coming loaned in is fantastic, and it's very good to see him getting some game time. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, the next game I wanted to talk about was Rayo's thrashing victory against Getafe on match day five. Uh, well, even watching today, Getafe against Atletico, well, they broke Madrid like Real Madrid hearts once again, but we'll, we'll probably talk about that in much uh, detail in the Match Day 6 review episode of the S Una Final podcast. But uh, going back to their Match Day 5 game against Rayo that they lost 3-0 away from home for Getafe, of course. But I kind of feel like Bordalas is gone from Getafe, but he's still there in like in some capacity. <laughs> Watching Getafe's football, it's, it's not fun to be precise. And uh, credit to Rayo, they're playing well. They're capitalizing on the opportunities. Uh, especially, shout out has to go to uh, Falcao. He just returned to La Liga and doing what he used to do in La Liga. And Rayo Vallecano right now, like after the match day six game, uh, they, they won again today, by the way, yes. <laughs> at, at the San Mames with a 96-minute goal from Falcao one more time. And they're at the moment in the Champions League spot, would you believe it, ahead of Sevilla and Barca, who both of them have like a game in their hands, but still, they're in a Champions League spot. But what are your what were your thoughts on that 3-0? Very, very impressive victory against Getafe. First of all, the most important takeaway from this game is Radamel Falcao should not be wearing the number three shirt. I hate that so much. <laughs> it's just disgusting. And that needs, I don't know who allowed that to happen, but it is just awful, atrocious. They should be fired. I know a lot of guys rules about kits, but no. I mean, they need to start pulling like an Edison Cavani, Dan James uh, situation at Man United. They should have sold mm-hmm. someone and freed up a better shirt for him. But uh, Hitafe, um, they just look... Like you said, I mean, Bordelas is kind of still there in spirit. They mm-hmm. didn't switch up the team that much aside from being in like mm-hmm. Yankto and but they're it's the same team trying to play a more possession based style. And that just doesn't work with the personnel you have because that's not what the players were brought in to do. So it just mm-hmm. it makes sense that this isn't working. And Michel I don't think he's the greatest manager. I mean, I was very happy with mm. 80 or so minutes of his team's performance today against uh, Atletico Madrid before. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, yeah. But um, yeah, they just, they don't create much chances. And I mean, it really shows in this match when your top like creative threat is Damian Suarez and he's playing in the right midfield position in a 4-4-2. I mean, that just kind of sums up all of their problems all at once. It's just... They struggle with trans- chance creation. And one of the biggest elements of Hatafe Stando Bordelos was their defensive solidity through their high press. And we just haven't, I mean, they gave up three goals to Rio. And I mean, Rio is, like you said, they're in the Champions League spot. They're quite a good side this season, which I did not predict. I want to come out, I'll just say that I did not predict that. But conceding three goals to this team that just came up, no matter how good they are. Mm-hmm. You can't be doing that if you want to try and compete in this league. And they're still on zero points, I believe, through yeah. uh, match day six now that they played Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. I, I can't see him staying up at this point unless they sack Michel and bring in someone who will try and replicate Bordelas ball. Yeah. I just yeah. can't see it. Absolutely. Yeah. Michel is under tremendous pressure right now. I think it's only a matter of time before he gets sacked. And uh, yeah, their upcoming fixtures shouldn't be much encouraging for them either, I believe. Yeah. And at, at the moment, they're basically not playing good against anybody. Yeah. So uh, that's that's that on Getafe. But on, on that note, I I was just as shocked as you 
to see Radamel Falcao wearing number three, but I, I think he it is he mentioned it is a, some sort of tribute to somebody. I think it's his okay. father. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't know the entire story, but it's it's definitely some sort of tribute. Like uh, uh, like Rui Patricio used to wear uh, eleven for Wolves uh, because of a tribute. I, I was I was also like completely confused about that, but later on I like I knew like there was some kind of tribute about that. Got All right. So moving on to the big three, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid games. Uh, Atletico Madrid were almost drawing or losing this this match week as well, but they did not. Luis Suarez, uh, the master of dark arts, pulled some dark arts and uh, scored uh, a fabulous double to head them home. But again, we'll we'll talk in depth about that next week. But from their game against Athletic Club, uh, what were the you know, most significant offensive issues for Atletico for you against Bilbao? Because what what I thought that for a team that has uh, Angel Correa in the form of his life, that has Luis Suarez, that has Antoine Griezmann back, that has Juan Felix, who obviously like saw a red card for arguing with the ref. <laughs> but, uh, and again, like you have very good midfielders like Marcos Llorente and uh, Rodrigo de Paul. Atletico Madrid is has a very, very strong squad, but they they don't seem to be firing on all cylinders like they have done for a large stretch of last season, some very dominating wins. We haven't seen this that side of Atletico during this season yet. Do you think there is a little bit of champions fatigue? That, that's going to be one of my questions. And the other is, what are the primary offensive issues? Like, again, today, Suarez bailed them out. But there, there's, there seems to be something wrong with Atletico's offensive scheme. What do you think? Why do you think that is? I think it's genuinely from Simeone not having a set 11 that he wants to start in a set formation he likes to use because he's been tinkering for quite some, he's been tinkering this entire season. I mean, it's been different formations. Today uh, against Hatafe, they started in a 4 2 3 1, which we haven't seen them do before. I think he just needs to settle on a starting 11, a set formation, and if someone stops playing well, then you switch them out. You don't just keep trying new things because you have this fancy new squad. And you mm-hmm. spent a lot in the summer. I mean, Kieran Trippier is, I would say, the best right back or right wing back in your squad. He should be in the team every game. Marcos Llorente is a fantastic player. I love Marcos Llorente, no matter who he's playing for. Mm-hmm. He is not a right wing back. He's mm-hmm. He doesn't fit that position that well. And though he does get forward and his impact in the final third is great, he's not as good in, as Kieran Trippier in that role. So, I mean, that's just mm-hmm. one example. I mean... If he needs to stop experimenting, Simeone has the players there to win the title this season. They are the best team in the league. Mm. It just depends if he can settle on a formation and get these players firing on the right, like on the, all the right cylinders. And I think the biggest issue with the team right now is Antoine Griezmann. I mm. he just doesn't fit the team at this point because when he did play for Atletico, he was this kind of sole striker role and everything in their offense flowed through him. And now whether it's the Barcelona influence that they've had on him or just how he's aged and how he's grown as a player, he occupies all the wrong spaces in the team. And he's just not the goal threat that he was before. And he, he's almost in a mix between like a creative attacking midfielder and this out and out striker, but he's not either of them. Like in the game against uh, Athletic Club, he 
had he didn't have, like manage a single key pass. He didn't do it. I wouldn't expect him to be putting crosses, but he didn't even try any crosses. He his shooting was just pretty much null at this point. He he's not creating much in the team. He's kind of just a black hole, which is one very disappointing from someone who enjoys watching him at his best. And if Simeone can bring him back to the best that he did have in his uh, last couple seasons at Atletico Madrid, that would be incredible for them because he was one of the best players in La Liga. But at the moment, it's Im- near impossible to integrate Angel Correa, Luis Suarez, João Felix, uh, Mateus Cunha, and Luis Suarez all in one team. And Simeone just needs to, for better words, just buck up and play his best players, which right now is Angel Correa and Luis Suarez. He mm-hmm. needs to stop tinkering and just put out what works and just keep running with that. Because right now, Antoine Griezmann was a great deal for Atletico Madrid getting him back. But Mm -hmm. he needs to be correctly integrated into the side because right now he doesn't fit the way they played last season. He doesn't fit the way they play now. And it should be on him to adjust and not for Atletico Madrid to build around him. That was long and quite the rant, but that is it for me. That's all I want to say about that. No, no, that is that is quite correct. I think I do do believe that is quite correct. And uh, well, good for us. Stay in this mess. Yeah. <laughs> Good for us. Uh, but yeah, Atletico, I think, again, today they played like 98 minutes. I mean, come on, man. They've already played like a whole game more. Yeah. <laughs> a whole game worth of time more. But uh, yeah, moving on to the uh, another of our rivals, Barcelona versus Granada. I enjoyed this game so much. <laughs> I enjoyed this game so much. Like, obviously, my my high hopes for Granada were already in shambles from our prediction episode. But when they scored in the second minute, I was obviously elevated. I I found that to be funny and everything. But then Barcelona, like, they had to dig deep, and they for to for Koeman to play. Gerard Piquet around 25 minutes as an out-and-out center forward. That is absolutely hilarious when you see like this was the fifth match day, the fourth match day actually for Barcelona. So when you have to play Gerard Piquet as your center forward for 25 minutes uh, of a game at home at the Camp Nou against Granada, a side that is already struggling in La Liga. Uh, As a Madridista, that makes me incredibly happy. I will not be at all modest about that. But when you think about it from footballing perspectives, there are like so many things going wrong at Barcelona at this moment. What, what do you think, Charlie? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest issue for Barcelona at the moment is the expectations. I mm-hmm. mean, everyone is assuming they were everyone. I know, I know everyone thought they were going to drop a bit, but I don't like. I didn't think they were going to drop this far and be. I mean, their chance creation is just not great at the moment, which is evident by putting in Gerard Piquet and tossing in um, 54 crosses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Big Zidane ball. <laughs> yes. I, Barcelona is the best attacking team of all time. They have the mm. best philosophy and all of that. Well, sorry, Real Madrid is probably the best. Mm-hmm. Team, but I mean, in terms of philosophy <laughs> and things like that, yep. Barcelona has always been the top in terms of Wigo de Posicion and things like that. I never thought I would see the day when Barcelona would become a crossing-based offense and put one of their center backs at forward akin to Real Madrid in the 80th minute of just about every game for the past 10 or so years. I mm. never thought I would see that. And I am a Real Madrid fan, so I will not say that I'm beat up over this, but mm. it is interesting to see how Ronald Koeman has almost given up in this role because 
this team still has quite a bit of talent. I know Jordi mm-hmm. Alba is hurt. I know Pedri is just so, so overworked. I know that mm-hmm. they've got Ansu Fadi, who's just uh, in his recovery at the moment. But Memphis Depay is a fantastic striker. Mm-hmm. Luke de Jong is good at certain things, and you can play to his strengths. If you want to enact a crossing-based offense, he's mm-hmm. your guy. Demir mm-hmm. was fantastic. He, mm-hmm. I was a little bit iffy on Koyman just tossing out these youngsters. He was fantastic. I would, yeah. He deserves all the plaudits. He was very good. He was pretty much our best offensive threat, I would say, aside from Depay, who was being triple-marked and trying to work everything himself. Feel awful for him. But Barcelona, I mean, Koyman, his strategies at the moment it's like he doesn't want to be there i mean mm. there's no there were no real changes in style in the match there was nothing i mean he was subbing he subbed on pk like you said uh, like in the 75th minute i believe yeah. they just crossed in i mean i i don't know I, mean, <laughs> I don't i don't have much words for this i mean Felipe coutinho looks like a shadow of himself mm. from liverpool byron even his first Exactly. I mean, he's just a totally different player. I mean, and Sergio Roberto, I like Sergio Roberto as a utility player. I mean, he's not, he did hit the bar, I believe, mm. the um, woodwork at some point. I mean, Barcelona certainly created the chances in this match, and they were probably lo- unlucky not to win it. But for them to be having these kinds of issues against a team like mm. Granada, who've leaked goals all season, it just, it's such a fall from grace at this point. I, and Koyman has to go at some point because if your manager is disinterested, mm. as it looks like he is, and isn't playing the style that you have preached for so long, and it, mm. it just doesn't make much sense to keep him around. I mean, credit to Koyman for not starting PK and trying to uh, like Ronald Araujo is awesome. He was fantastic in the mm. match. He was getting mm. on the ends of crosses and he was solid at the back. Eric Garcia is a bit iffy, but uh, Balde was. Fine. I mean, yeah. I know he was substituted mm-hmm. early. And as was Demir, I mean, trusting in the youth is probably the best course of action at this point. But the subbing on a PK just is so. <laughs> it feels like it's just a cop out at this point. I don't know. I mean, yep. I like yep. I said, I will not complain, but I also want Barca. I want to, if I want Real Madrid to win the league this season, I want them to win against a very good Barca side. I don't want Barca to just crumble. Mm-hmm. I want it to be competitive. So if, from that point of view, it's a bit uh, sorry to see this. Yep. And, uh, well, how I think is that as an institution and as a club, financially and everything, I think Barcelona is too big to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they will be back sooner or later. But meanwhile, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to enjoy <laughs> everything they go through. I don't blame uh, as, as a real Madrid fan, because I know like sooner or later, they're going to be back anyway. Yep. But, the thing is, also, I was having uh, a chat with another Real Madrid fan today, and uh, we were just talking that, uh, you know, Barcelona practically got away with a draw with playing 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds yeah. playing PK at center uh, center forward. Uh, but I think their culture has a lot to do with that, that they're still getting away with that by playing so many youngsters. Because honestly, Charlie, I don't see Real Madrid playing like five or six 18-year-olds in a league game and winning that game. I, I just don't see that. Or yep. even drawing that game. Nope. We don't have that, unfortunately. Uh, but Barcelona is somehow like getting away with that, with bringing on Demir, Gavi. Also, Balde played yesterday. 
Pedri is still 18. Like that is that is bonkers that he <laughs> this like guy is still just 18 years old. So yeah, uh, there are some things because of the long lasting culture. They're still just staying afloat. If they hadn't had that culture. Barcelona would not have been able to draw yesterday by playing like so many youngsters, so so much raw talent and just sending them into a, a league match like that. Uh, but which has been Coman's like kind of signature almost throughout his managerial career at Barcelona. He has put uh, an enormous emphasis on youth. And I think for the remainder of his Barcelona career, however long that is, we don't know that, he would have to bet on that uh, quite quite often, J- just because the kind of a uh, squad setup, injuries, and everything they have. Yeah. All right, all right. So we're going to dive into the Real Madrid discussion now. This gives us the opportunity to talk about Valencia versus Real Madrid, and obviously then Real Madrid versus Mallorca. We're going to talk briefly about that game as well. So once again, the Valencia game. Well, h- how the game started, I didn't really mind. The first half was, I would say, 50-50. Madrid played well. We obviously had the same defensive issues that we had in the previous five games. They were still there, but still, Madrid was managing well. Benzema was linking up well. Our number seven did well in the first half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Vinicius. Ev- ev- everyone was looking on song, but how we conceded the goal. That is inexplicable and inexcusable, I think, because uh, obviously Danny Carvajal's injury now puts us into a very difficult spot because Lucas Vasquez looks nothing like the player he was last season. I don't know how much time would he need to recover that form or whether or not he can do that again. And now Danny Carvajal's absence means catastrophe for us. And just how Lucas Vasquez, like, headed the ball into Hugo Duro. He had no idea. He had his eyes off the ball. He was scared of the ball. I don't know why. And then Militao was like saving himself from a handball or something. Like he didn't really put into an effort to get in front of the ball or jump in front of the ball at all. And it was uh, it was a very well-struck shot and Courtois mm-hmm. had no chance basically. So yeah. we'll, we'll get into how Real Madrid came back. But if you can shed any light on the defensive issues we've been having since the beginning of the season. Yeah. Um, for me, le- the Vasquez mistake was bad mm-hmm. and the poor marking at the back post was bad, but what was more inexcusable for me was Dimitri Fulquier who crossed from deep. Yes. <laughs> there, he w- it was off a throw in. There was zero pressure on him. He had, a, exactly. he had all the time in the world to make that cross. And I believe, yeah. I believe it was Luka Modric who is mm. not one to usually let mm. their opponent just take as much space mm. as he wants. So I don't mm. know if it's tired, if he's fatigued or anything like that, or if he just didn't expect him to cross, which is insane because that's pretty much Dimitri Fokio's thing, cross mm. and getting forward and crossing. So that was just the most inexcusable part to me. It was just baffling how they just let him stand there. Mm. I remember screaming at my computer going, someone pressure him? I mean, it's, yeah. And that I think is just, kind of what's been Real Madrid's biggest issue. Not not pressuring players, but just the momental lapses in concentration. And we saw it with David Alaba against um in the match where he they uh Yeah, I I, I know what you're talking about. I also don't remember yes. the game, but I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. The set piece where uh mm. at the end of the it was against Levante. It was the mm. set piece mm. when he, yeah. uh, he just his body wasn't in the correct position. They played a ball into the penalty area for set piece and he just fumbled it. And mm. then the Levante player took on 
uh, had a shot right in front of the goal. It's these moment, momentous lapses we have, and it's not really issues with the, the defensive solidity and things like that, but it's just like Sergio Ramos and Rafael Veron, we took them for granted so much because yeah. they were just perfect nearly all the time, mm-hmm. especially Rafael Veron. He mm-hmm. rarely put a foot wrong in defense. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what we expected because, I mean, I always expected Eder Militao to be error-prone at times, and David Alaba is not a traditional center back, but mm-hmm. I would have expected... And obviously, there are chemistry issues as well as they get to know each other and um, get into each other's systems a bit and see how they fit in. But, yeah, it's the quick lapses, the just the errors at the back. We saw it against Celta Vigo as well, playing out of the back. That was a big issue mm. at one point, which that's kind of David Alba's thing. Mm. I mean, his abilities in possession is kind of what makes him great, which I know that wasn't on him for the Celta Vigo game, but mm. it's the little errors that have been costing Real Madrid and in their own defensive third, it just every single time. And La Liga is too good. The opposition will capitalize. And we saw against Inter Milan, we kind of just absorbed pressure. And I was really, really surprised we didn't give up any goals. And that was on mm. Thibaut Courtois because mm. he had about five or so fantastic saves. Fantastic that, saves. Yeah, that he, he should have let in. Probably uh, They should have gone in. I mean, mm. so it's th- that game, I think the defense was still, I don't want to say poor, but they weren't great. But mm. Courtois m- kind of saved their blushes and made them look a lot better than they really were. So I think this is just the defense we're stuck with this year. I think we're going to just have to accept it. One, the style Ancelotti's playing and uh, just the defensive personnel we have. We're going mm. to give up more goals than what we did under Zidane. So mm. I just think we have to be prepared to accept that and just try and outscore our opponents at this point, which seems to be Carlo's strategy, <laughs> which granted is fun. It's entertaining, mm. but it's not as uh, rigid Assuring. as Zidane had. Yeah, it's, yeah, in the bigger games and the smaller games, of course, it's very, very worrying because like that, you could just give up a goal and yep. cost yourself the game. Because in La Liga, teams are very, very good at packing it in and defending in a mm-hmm. low block. Mm-hmm. And it's very tough to score. And we've seen how Real Madrid have gone against low blocks in the seasons under mm-hmm. Zidane. So that's that's my take on the defensive issues. Yeah, and also, like, on the aerial thing, I was checking some stats. Real Madrid right now are 20th among the 20 La Liga teams for aerial duels, total number of aerial duels won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is insane because Dermot Tao was the best in the league last season, on Ariel, which David Alba is also kind of pretty poor yeah, on that but front. But also, yeah, uh, yeah no worries. Uh, also, the percentage of aerial duels won, Real Madrid is 19th among the 20 teams. Now, I quickly check like stats from the last few seasons, like last four or five seasons. Madrid have always been... Uh, low like Madrid and Barca, both of them have been low, like below 16 or 17, 15. Yeah. Traditionally, for the total number of aerial duels won, but when it comes to the percentage, they've always been high, like first, second, mm-hmm. third, fourth, fifth, like that. Yep. Understandable. Like now, River to this 20th for the total number, and uh, for the percentage, they're 19th. I, I mean, like that's what you get when you s- sell the two best center backs of the world in the same transfer window without buying anyone remotely close to their profile. And I, I don't really know like how long Real Madrid can sustain this uh, without buying a proper 
very strong world-class center back. Unfortunately, David Alaba is an excellent footballer. He's one of my favorite Real Madrid footballers right now. But he's not one of the top five center backs in the world. Mm-hmm. Edward Militao is not one of the top five center backs in the world. I don't remember being, I don't remember Sergio Ramos or Rafael Varane not being among the top five center backs in the world, like for most of their careers at center back to be honest, especially Ramos since he started playing center back and like since 2014, he has, he has always been among the absolute top ones. And for most of the part, he has been the best for me. Rafael Varane roundabouts there. Edward Militao has like so much time to improve and all that, but he's not in that league. David Alaba, the left back, is probably one of the top five, is most definitely for me, one of the top five left backs in the world. The kind of vision, the kind of verticality he can bring to the game. But David Alaba, the center back, is just not. So, yes, I know the team is obsessed with Kylian Mbappe and uh, everything about, like, we'll get Haaland, Mbappe, Pogba, Delict, everyone in the same (laughs) transfer window and whatnot. uh, Those, like, daydreams. But Real Madrid's top, top priority should be to get at least one absolute world-class center-back, like probably someone like Skriniar or, or uh, even Delict. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that is that has to be top priority for me in that next transfer window. I 100% uh, agree. Yeah. Uh, on that note, uh, just quickly wrap up the uh, Match Day 5 sub, uh, review of Real Madrid's game, where Two late goals, two goals created by Karim Benzema and uh, Vinicius Jr., of course. One created, the other scored, both of of their cases. And the game really opened up, I think, when Real Madrid brought on Kamavinga. I thought he should have come up way earlier. And if he comes up way earlier, I think uh, Valencia doesn't score that. Because when, when no one was marking the cross... Kamavinga would have definitely pressed that. I, I just feel like that. Uh, so Kamavinga was very impressive for me. And I, I don't really have enough words for Benzema and Vinicius at this moment, to be honest. <laughs> I don't either. They've been fantastic. And yep. I do want to toss out today, after mm-hmm. watching the Atletico Madrid match, I cursed Luis Suarez's name so hard. I was, <laughs> I, I hate you so much. That was... You, Dark Hearts, all that stuff. That's exactly what Real Madrid did this weekend. I mean, they yeah. left it till very late to grab some goals. And I I mean, we always talk about how Atletico Madrid pulled these wins out of just absolutely nowhere. And that's what we saw Real Madrid do against Valencia. The, Valencia were probably the better side yep. throughout the match for what they're worth. Real Madrid play, did play quite well, but for what Valencia is, mm-hmm. they played very well. And they probably deserved at least a point out of the match. But it, all it took was two minutes, and Real Madrid mm. had the win, and that's what it takes to be champions in this league. So, yeah, I, if we can keep getting stuff like that, and it was this kind of the same, along the same lines as the Real Batiste match, where we just mm. grabbed a one 0 lead around midway mm. through the second half and just saw it out. Mm. If we can continue to do that, I mean, that's that's all, pretty much the number one thing you need to win the title. Yep, absolutely. All right. On that note, uh, Charlie, is the audio still coming out? Okay. Yes. Yep. All right. All right. Yep. Sure. I lost it for a uh, sec, but yep. Uh, yeah. No worries. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a call coming on because, like, I'm, I always record on my phone, but that's no problem. Got it. All right. Uh, so 
on that note, we're going to dive into Real Madrid's match preview now versus Real Mallorca at the Santiago Bernabeu. I will start with some of the things Ancelotti said during the press conference. One of them was he is inclined towards making a few changes for this game. We don't know how drastic those changes are going to be. Uh, we do know that uh, uh, someone like Asensio or Luka Jovic, they might get some opportunities. We also do know that he spoke that Vinicius is too young to be rested <laughs> for two yep. consecutive games. So he's, he's going to play. And uh, so, so stuff like that. For, so I'll actually get into the discussion right to you about Real Madrid starting 11. If you were to rotate, what's going to be your ideal 11? Okay. I like the formation Real Madrid started with in the last match against Valencia. I liked Hazard playing as kind of mm-hmm. a kind of behind Benzema, 4-4-2 almost. Like mm-hmm. it kind of freed him up from the defensive, uh, it, the defensive uh, structures that he's had to possess in like a left winger role where he has to track back. He didn't really have to do that as much. So that was good. So I would start him there in that role again. Um, Carvajal is out, which is just devastating. I would honestly put Nacho out there. I mean, Mm -hmm. I get that it's really bad because I do want to keep an extra center back fit, but -hmm. I would start Nacho out there for that match and then give him a rest on the weekend. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, start Nacho right back, Militao Alaba at center back, Miguel at left back because you don't really have another option. Mm-hmm. I would love to start uh, Kamavinga because uh, Ancelotti said he probably will start him tomorrow. And mm-hmm. I'd love to see Ancelotti start uh, Kamavinga and Blanco as the two midfielders. I okay. don't think we'll see that, but uh, I would love to see them both start there because I think if Blanco is going to be in the squad continuously, he should be getting some time. Uh, Benzema up top and uh, Vinny on the left and Rodrigo on the right. That would be my starting 11. Yep. And... Uh... I think Luka Modric should not go anywhere near the starting lineup tomorrow. This man needs rest. We need him against Villarreal with complete respect to Mallorca. We we need uh, Luka Modric on much fresher terms and on much better, you know, physical uh, physicality, of course, uh, against Villarreal on the game on the weekend. But before that, this is a very good game. for, for the youngsters like the Camavingas, the Valverdes, the Blancos to have their, you know, to stake their claim uh, in the starting lineup. And I always keep thinking, like, if you need Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, Karim Benzema, and everyone to win these games, there is definitely something wrong. So these are the games that Luka Jovic should perform in. These are the games where Marco Asensio should perform in. So, again, absolutely no disrespect to Mallorca here, but Real Madrid have time and time again failed to you know dominate these these games, especially after 2018. And at the end, end we just see that okay, we, you have to bring in Luka Modric to unlock the defense. You have to carry Benzema anyway. But I really want to see some changes, some key changes up top, uh, especially. I, I even wouldn't mind if like Luka Jovic starts and plays 60 minutes, and probably if Benzema, you know, just to stay match fit, comes in for the last 10-15 minutes. I wouldn't mind that. Uh, Jovic needs some game time as well because the kind of form Benzema is, uh, he, he's not going to get much time in the bigger games. That That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do want that. And I really like the idea that you mentioned uh, to play Nacho at right back because, yeah, Lucas Vasquez is 
is is not going through a good patch right now. I don't know if Ancelotti sees tomorrow's game probably as an opportunity for him to uh, do something better and play play him there. But yeah, I don't have much confidence, as much confidence I had in him last season. Uh, but uh, yeah, Nacho Nacho could be a good option uh, tomorrow or probably even during the weekend game game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want Miguel to start tomorrow. It's it's been a while we've seen Miguel yep. two games now. I do want Miguel to start. So all in all, I am looking forward to uh, an exciting game, especially because I know Kamavinga is going to play a big good chunk of it, and I do want to watch him play. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Mallorca, uh, Charlie? How do you see them line up? Okay, um, I see pretty much an unchanged lineup from their last match against Villarreal, where they've been performing very well as of late. They're nothing to balk at. They, uh, I think they're definitely going to be staying up this season, and they've looked quite good. So um, I see Jeme Costa, Alivan Valient, and uh, Pablo Maffeo starting across the back line, Sevilla and uh, Baba uh, in the holding midfield double pivot, mm-hmm. uh, Kubo starting probably on the right, I like him more in the central uh, attacking midfielder role, but I think he'll start on the right for uh, Danny Rodriguez to play in that 10 spot. Amath, I believe, will start on the uh, left side. We could also see Lago Jr. hop in in that role. We could also see Kang and Lee at some point, which I would really like to see because he's a fantastic player and I love watching him. And I think we will get uh, Fernandinho up top. That's most like what I think we're looking at. I mean, it could go either way because, I mean, they will probably want to rotate, but I think that's kind of their set 11 at this point. All right. Uh, is, did you have Jame Costa at left back? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, if Jame Costa is playing at left back and it, Kang and Lee might also, you know, play kind of that left wing or slash yeah. left midfielder role, that is even more imperative than that we play Nacho at right back because I, I can see these two guys absolutely overwhelming Lucas Vasquez and that, that wouldn't be yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, uh, good good opportunity for Bernabeu fans to see three back-to-back games. Uh, obviously, I, I think the Champions League game might hold more crowd as well. I think La Liga has currently permitted 75%. Not La Liga, I think Spanish authorities. So yes. all these games should have probably more more people than usual mm-hmm. than what it was against the Celta game, in the Celta game. Uh, all right, Charlie, we, I think we missed the predictions in the last game, but I do want to know your prediction this game. Um, 3-1 Real Madrid. I think right. uh, Mallorca are very good off the counter-attack, and we've mm-hmm. seen how uh, Real Madrid's transition defense is this season. So I think they will get uh, Real Madrid on the counter-attack at some point through some sort of through ball or something like that because they've been very, very good with the incisive mm-hmm. passes this season. And their wingers are just fast and skilled in general. And I think either with Miguel playing high up the pitch as he does mm-hmm. like a bomb forward and Nacho being not the quickest, mm-hmm. I think uh, they could be taken advantage of at some point. All right. Uh, any predictions on the Real Madrid scorers? Uh, Benzema 2, Vinicius 1. All right. All right. Going with the, going with the usual, yes. I see. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Benzema has, what, 11 goal contributions at this point? Yeah. And Vinicius has... Five goals, one assist. I mean, yeah, I don't see anyone else scoring. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, great, it, though. it's good to have someone else alongside <laughs> Benzema scoring because it's been a long, long time since we mm. had someone hit six goals this early in the season. Yes, I mean, yes, we absolutely. See Casemiro hit six pretty much every season in total. With his, <laughs> uh, corner kick and set piece <laughs> antics, and playing as a striker, of course. But yep. uh, yeah, it, this is it's fun to have someone else to support Benzema on this. Yes. Part. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think last time this happened, when Benzema was on nine goal contributions, he was uh, tied with Ronaldo from the 14-15 season. So Ronaldo scored nine goals in the first four games in 14-15. That, I mean, that, it seems like a different generation yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was that was crazy. All right, Charlie, it was absolutely fantastic to have you for another episode of the Asuna Final podcast. Had tons of fun talking about this, uh, the review and preview mixed episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, uh, I think we're going to have probably have to do a few of those in the coming weeks, the, mm-hmm. the kind of schedule there is. But yep. obviously, uh, we'll see everyone once again, possibly with Michael joining us for the future episodes as well. Thank you so much, our viewers and our listeners for listening to us today. Do follow us at Es Una Final Podcast and we will see you the next time.